0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer, Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. And Aaron, you were mentioning you you had something to share with the class before we get started here.
1: Yeah, apparently we're going to start a new thing called uh, Correction Corner, where where I just uh, correct the mistakes I made from the last show. And uh, last show I said, oh, Extremis, that obviously came from uh, Iron Man 2. Mm -hmm. And I had a a kind listener reach out and say, excuse me, Mr. Adams, but if you'll recall correctly, that was Iron Man 3 that Extremis uh, appeared in. And they're absolutely right. It was Iron Man 3. Uh, Iron Man 2 was obviously when Tony Stark fought Ultron. But uh, anyway, now that I've cleared that all up, we'll we'll never have to revisit uh, Correction Corner again. I'm very certain of that.
0: Okay. All right, moving on. Okay, okay. I'm sure we'll be (laughs) fine. Okay, (laughs) folks, anyone who's been paying attention to the show for the past couple of months know that every week we've been talking about the impact that the writers' strike, which started back on on May 2nd, has been having on on various uh, Marvel projects and that sort of thing. Well, this past Friday, SAG-AFTRA went out on strike. And if things were bad before, they just got so much worse.
1: I can't wait. Go to Comic-Con and meet my favorite
0: celebrities. (laughs) That's not
1: impacted at all, right?
0: No, we'll get to that. Okay. Okay. Let's start with what, under the situation, actually did manage to get done. Agatha Coven of Chaos. They actually managed to get that completed shooting wrapped on that june 4th of this year that nine episode uh limited series began production back in mid-january but because they stuck with the script as written it made it under the wire uh no word yet about when that will premiere on disney plus uh hearing 2024 on the other hand captain america brave new world they wrapped production on that on june 30th so that should have no problem at all, meaning it's July 26, 2024, release date. That's 51 weeks from today, just a little under a year.
1: It will be very easy to tell if they have to do any reshoots because uh, Captain America will suddenly be played by a sock puppet. So just be on the lookout for that. You'll, you'll be able to catch it, eagle eyed viewers.
0: <laughs> all right. On the other hand, no less than four Marvel projects had to shut down in mid-production. Back on May 25th, Marvel Studios paused production on *Wonder Man*, a limited series for Disney Plus. That show had been shooting since April 3rd of this year, so that they, they were seven weeks into production. They shut down. On the other hand, on June 14th, *Daredevil: Born Again* which was three months into an eight-month-long shoot, Uh, they paused production indefinitely. On the other hand, just this past weekend, on Saturday, July 15th, production of Venom shut down.
1: Oh, wait, hold on. Let me hit the applause sound effect. Let's cheer that. All right, here we go. (laughs) Applause. Thank you. Oh, that was nice. Okay, go ahead. Continue.
0: Okay. They had been shooting in Spain uh, since mid-June, and they shut down very same day deadpool 3 was forced to shut down production and they had just begun shooting days beforehand then there are the marvel projects that didn't even make it out of the gate
1: oh i want to i want to take a wild guess a little stab in the dark <laughs> with my pointy teeth <laughs> i would like okay. to take a stab at the please i got to say blade hasn't even gotten out of the gate yet right is that the is that the one
0: yeah and it just what kills me about this one Is they had hired Nick Pozzolato, but the whole notion was you need to get the script done before the writers go out.
1: Wait a minute. Was was that actually a stipulation like in his contract for getting hired or something? Or was it just like he would have liked to have but could not complete it?
0: As it was explained to me, they brought him on board with the express. You know, it's like, look, we are facing a writer strike. This script is close to where we want it, but we need, you know, this rewrite. We need these issues. Because remember, Mahershala Ali initially was the one who shut down the project because he just wasn't happy with the script. And that's right. another reason they brought Nick on board. Right. But it, again, it was always with the understanding the writers are going out on May 2nd. You know, you need to have your draft in by then. And it was just one of these things, guys, I'm sorry, I can get us, you know, like, evidently he got 90% of what they wanted from him.
1: I can almost imagine a meeting where they're, like, actually handing him a, a ream of blank paper and freshly sharpened pencils. could be like, start now. Start this very second. Please. We don't have any time.
0: You just steal for him because, you know, sure. that... Three days later, they had to just go, okay, we're done. It's paused indefinitely.
1: (laughs) Once upon a time, Blade was a vampire. Time's up. Damn it. (laughs) It
0: was so close. (laughs) On the other hand, what's interesting is Thunderbolts. You know, writers go out on on May 2nd. They are confident in their script. They actually have a locked-in start of production date. It's June 12th. And that evidently, while they were in pre-production, an issue came up. When they realized, oh, crap, we're going to have to rewrite a scene. We can't rewrite a scene. It's a writer's Mm strike. And on May 25th, just three weeks before this was supposed to go before the cameras, uh, in Atlanta, they were building the sets. They had to shut down. And, of course, we've also talked about El Morto, the, the Bad Bunny project. They announced it was going to be in theaters in January of 2024, and it was just the whole notion of don't you need a script? That one we, we've talked about. That one's fascinating because that it wasn't a question of postponing production, that thing just came completely off of Sony's release schedule. So,
1: oh my god, there's that applause sound effect again from earlier. What the hell? I didn't even push the button that time, it just happened. <laughs> All
0: right, so. <laughs> and the other thing, frankly, touch base with the folks over at Sony Pictures Animation to see if the if the stories we, we were sharing earlier about what's potentially going on with beyond the Spider Verse, and it's not a question of if that's going to miss. It's March 2024 release date. At this point, it's just, it's a given in the building. But it's such a bad time out in Hollywood right now. With, you know, just the animosity and striking that sort of thing. It's just... I
1: gotta, we got to flip that on its ear and reverse it. Mm-hmm. It's a great time in Hollywood right now because people are fighting for their rights to be paid a good living wage. And when we talk about, you know, especially like the actor strike, we're not talking about Tom Cruise. He's not going to be affected by this. He makes Mm -hmm. whatever the hell he decides to make. Mm -hmm. But the the day actors, the backgrounds, the extras, the little men that that Mm -hmm. just show up for a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, they've got a mortgage. I actually read something that just blew my mind was uh, this actor Mm -hmm. said, I got a house in Los Angeles and I was on a TV show that was filming in like Vancouver Mm -hmm. and the uh, production gave him. It was like a $8,000 relocation fee to set him up for that first season, mm-hmm. but uh, season two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight of that show, he did not get a relocation fee because they expected him to take that $8,000 and just say, well, I hope it all works fabulously in season one, so I'm just going to buy a place here. and and so he's like and and the thing is if you've got a house in los angeles obviously you've got that mortgage to pay off Mm -hmm. but you want to visit your family you got to buy a plane ticket you got to get a cab to and from the airport you've got to do all this stuff that they're not paying for Mm -hmm. they give you the square eight thousand dollar check up front and that's it once it's gone it's gone sucker Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot of little things that we as just average people don't take into account. Oh, no, no, no. Into what goes into living that. It's kind of like the life of a nomad. You know, you find yourself in Italy for six months. What the hell am I doing here? I don't speak Italian. Oh, I'm filming a movie. Uh, It must be neat, you know. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so I I just think that when we talk about the writer's strike and the the actor's strike, especially of them happening at the same time now. Mm-hmm. Uh more power to them. It just I think both of them at the same time makes each other stronger in their argument mm-hmm. to help move the needle and hopefully more swiftly in the direction that they're hoping for so everybody can get back to work. Because that's what all everybody wants, is just get back to work.
0: Mm, I hope so. But this is poker at a scale I don't think anybody in the industry has seen. I mean, for example, we were just talking about Deadpool 3 and Venom 3. Because sets are built. Those productions are paused. But as the Hollywood reporter revealed just today, the cost of holding on to those sound stages where the sets are in place and, you know, where the costumes are in storage, Aaron, that typically runs somewhere along the line of six hundred thousand dollars a week.
1: If only we could raise the rate. I mean that could that's gotta encourage the people that are holding all of the money to say, mm-hmm. Man, come on. We are losing mad money just sitting here. If we don't give, we're just going to continue losing money. How many more months do you want to go? I mean, obviously, when Disney's got billions at their disposal, it's not like they're going to sweat over you know a couple million here and there. But still... At some point, they're going to be like, this is just nonsense. We're going to end up losing more money. if we do. Just give it now, and, and mm. it'll be less of a loss.
0: Well, just to circle back to what we were just talking about, think about it. We have production of two limited series for Disney+, and two theatrical releases, one for Sony and one for Marvel Studios, on pause, and then three full-length uh, feature films frozen in place. They can't go forward. Mm-hmm. The production teams for both Deadpool and Venom 3 are, The reason that Deadpool uh, 3 is in shooting in the UK and the reason that Venom is shooting in Spain is cheaper to keep a soundstage occupied. So it was a bet, you know, the Mm -hmm. effect of let's go someplace cheaper if we need to ride this out. On the other hand, did you see the story in Forbes this week about due to English tax law, we know exactly how much Disney Plus spent on the making of Secret Invasion.
1: Oh, nice. Let's hear the number. What do we got?
0: What Forbes reported is the six-episode run cost $212 million.
1: I've kind of been wondering about this. All right, so let's expand on the subject just for a quick moment. Uh, Considering how long these shows and movies are Mm -hmm. in development, and Mm -hmm. I honestly didn't know if Iger's desire to cut production costs would have happened at a time that would have had any effect on this show. Like Mm -hmm. it would have been too far done Mm -mm. and completed for Iger to say, you know what, let's trim budget, right?
0: Just a quick uh, to give you a little background here. Yeah, go for it. In Secret Invasion, actually, production began September 2021 and then uh, ran through late April of 2022. So it's eight months. Okay. Okay,
1: So Iger wouldn't have been able to. His proclamation came after those dates. He did. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, the question now is, if this is still the expensive version of the show, Mm -hmm. what the hell would it have looked like had it been the, the cut budget version? where they cut the budget in half. Because I was already, you know, making just a mildest of stupid complaints on mm-hmm. episode one. Uh, you couldn't show us a spaceship. You had to show us just a bright white light mm-hmm. and uh, a dude in a field. And I thought that was kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, would we have even gotten the light? Could they have afforded that <laughs> if, if they had their budget cuts? And now, keeping in mind that Secret Invasion is probably one of the most grounded of the marvel series that we could possibly hope for because there's not a lot of flying i mean yeah we get a couple of shapeshifters here and there and a little groot arm yep. from time to time so yeah there's a little bit of budget involved so i'm just wondering you know if, if Iger wants to cheapen things up you know and, and how do you make more money what do you what do you do to to capitalize on success and it's like mm-hmm. yeah you gotta you gotta sell toys and stuff like that and, and how do you and again, because we were already thinking this was a cheap-looking show. Not not that there's any bad quality. The, the, no, no, no. Everything looks top-notch. But it, like I said, there's not a whole lot of flash going on the screen. A lot of dialogue-heavy scenes here and there and, and such. So, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll get to the review of it later on in the show and, and talk more okay. about it. But, yeah, the what, what would it look like if we got Bob Iyer going, make it only for $100 million.
0: Well, it, it's worth noting here, March of two thousand twenty you know, pandemic, and Hollywood has to learn how to operate during COVID. And so when I was chatting with someone about that 212000000 million, they're like, well, look, realistically, a quarter of that budget is COVID protocols. And everything that was shot during that window of time, you know, where Hollywood was trying to learn to deal with COVID, every film went over by at least 20%. Of its initial budget, because it was just trying to figure out how to do this.
1: This is also a time, and especially thank you for bringing up the COVID protocols, expanding Mm -hmm. the budget, because that makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of wasted money right there. There you go. But you look at something like Amazon spending a billion freaking dollars for their season one of their Lord of the Rings spinoff. Yep. And uh, yeah, obviously there's a whole lot of flash and sizzle on that screen cuz you're in the land of Mordor, baby. You've mm-hmm. got elves and ents and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So, yeah, that's going to be hopefully 20 times more expensive just on those special effects. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of looking at the span of what's being offered is either, you know, grounded fantasy where you you got a spy thriller with aliens. That's neat. Mm-hmm. But it, let's say that the COVID protocol would you say it was like an extra quarter of the budget?
0: That's what they're telling me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So, I mean, you knock off like 50 million and and get it closer to like, you know, 150, 175. And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's still pretty freaking expensive. But Mm -hmm. if you trim the fat. And also, I remember back in the day when Sam Raimi did the very first Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got the the making of art book and all that stuff. And one of the things they did was they bought a golf cart and had it wrapped in it with Spider-Man logo and made it look cool. So everybody can zip around the set official like Mm -hmm. and look cool. How does that cost? $15,000, $20,000 to, you know, like buy that and have it wrapped with decals. And mm-hmm. you just, if you cut the stupid expenses like that, the frivolous stuff that you really don't need and you just make sure everything goes on the screen. And I wonder if that's the edict. The money that you spend has to be on the screen. You can't get any toys for your crew mm-hmm. just because you got Disney money. I think there's got to be a mentality change maybe in the production department a little bit.
0: Anyway. Now, toward that end, interesting that that you bring up a a change of of mind or a change of attitude at Disney. Bob Iger, this past week, uh, in an interview with CNBC, was talking about the writers and the actors could not have picked a worse time to go out on strike because of, of the very thing we were talking about. That the industry is still finding its way back from the pandemic. That, and it's not just the studios, it's the exhibitors. So it had, with the notion of we're going to stop production, there aren't going to be films to put in theaters at a time when they really need to be luring audiences back. But what's interesting is in this very same interview, Bob talked about how Disney's own streaming efforts may have damaged marvel studio did did you see this yes
1: and i find it not quite duplicitous but mm-hmm. you know almost contradictory mm-hmm. to what he was saying earlier because uh it well in, in this interview i'm sure you'll mention you know mm-hmm. that it, it diluted having the series uh on go. disney plus diluted the the need to go see a marvel film in mm-hmm. theaters and while I understand that, this is also the dude that was saying, yeah, we go back to the well too many times with certain characters and we need to move on and, and do other characters and, and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, but the way that it's scheduled, um, Kathleen Kennedy was talking about having uh, events. Mm-hmm. You just can't throw movies against the wall over and over and over. It just, it's no longer special. you got to wait every couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think the Avengers movies are like the events, and uh, the other movies, I don't want to call them filler, mm-hmm. but they're the things that get you to the events.
0: Oh, no, know, absolutely. But it's worth noting that the film that just got paused would have been the 35th Marvel Studios theatrical release. And, and now, mind you, Kevin Feige has built up an amazing organization. In fact, what was kind of interesting is to compare what he did the eve of the actors going out. Thursday, July 14th, this is the message that went out to all Marvel Studios employees. It's disappointing when carefully laid plans have to shift, but constant change is the nature of the production business, and our teams are no stranger to unexpected challenges and the rising to meet them. And... and We recognize how much you've all done on your specific project, and we deeply appreciate all of your efforts to make the best of the situation, and we can all hope that a new agreement will be finalized soon so we can resume the great work we have in process. So it's kind of weird because I remember when, you know, November of last year when the news broke that Bob Iger was, was coming in to replace Bob Chapek, I forget who it was who, who tweeted out, Daddy's home! You right. know, and, and the ironic is, you know, who's the one who's behaving like the adult right now? It's not Bob Iger, who, who frankly did his interview at Sun Valley, which is an annual meeting of billionaires. And especially given the issues you were just talking about, the rank and file in the actors' union, it's like you want to talk about being tone-deaf, at that particular moment whereas here's Feige at least like look I know you all worked hard and we did, this isn't the outcome we wanted but let's hope for the best and just move on but the scary part of it is that nobody knows how long this strike is going to run there have been some stuff in the trades that suggests that there are certain studio heads that want this thing to last as long as December. So. People start losing their apartments and their homes, and then they, the actors and the writers, come back to the table and studios get what they want.
1: But you're not going to mention David Zaslav by name. That's very, that's very courageous of you to not well, mention David Zaslav
0: by name. Okay, well <laughs> let me let me mention somebody else by name, right. Barry okay. Diller, uh, the former head of Paramount Studios and and later the head of Fox. And he's supposedly been reaching out to friends in the industry, you know, to the effect of it's like, look, this needs to be resolved yesterday. And and in fact, he's the one who's talking about that every studio head and every A-list actor to get this thing going should make a gesture of taking a 25% pay cut. If You want to get people's attention, you want to show you're serious, do that. Mm Because he's like, you guys need to pay attention here. Circling back to what Iger said, between the exhibitors and the studios, things are a lot worse than anybody's willing to let on. And and Barry has flat out said, if this is not resolved by September, it is entirely possible that we're going to lose at least one studio and one of the linear television networks. There's enough of these things that are shaky enough right now and when you look at a summer where even an Indiana Jones or, or for that matter, uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, what's been interesting is watching the stories just in the middle of this week buds, It's like it did well, but it did not meet projections. And, and certainly Indy didn't even come close to meeting projections. And these were supposedly, you know, these are things that people are going to come back to movie theaters for. And, and they didn't.
1: Like we were mentioning earlier about tent pole events. That's one that, you know, you don't get that every year. You don't get you Indiana don't. Jones every year. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that one specifically is a demographic issue of it's us older dudes who grew up mm-hmm. with Indy mm-hmm. as kids that are, are still fond of it. And the younger generation just doesn't care.
0: You're probably not wrong. I mean, it's a, just certainly I, I know they're already gathering information for the after actions. And it's just sort of like, what did we do wrong? Did we market it wrong? Was it the wrong going to release date, or, or as you just mentioned, it just it was for an audience that was going to sit at home and wait for it to show up on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Disney Plus, the other thing that Iger said when he was in Sun Valley, he actually said the quiet part out loud. He he talked about how Disney at some point in the future might sell off its linear television networks, and and by the way, that's ESPN. ABC, Disney Channel, and Freeform. Because the very group you were talking about, the ones who didn't go to the theater to see Dial of Destiny, they also don't watch linear television. They view things on their phones, which we've talked on on previous shows about the impact of uh, what the writer's strike had and now the actor's strike had on Comic-Con. And the press release literally came in today about how Comic-Con has gotten in bed With the Royal Caribbean people, they're going to do Comic-Con The Cruise in February of 2025. They are sailing out of Tampa for a five-day-long cruise on the Serenade of the Seas.
1: So are there going to be celebs on the boat with you the entire time? Are you going to be able to go to the buffet and rub elbows with Thor while you grab a shrimp or something?
0: That's what they kind of insinuated with the press release. Now, I know it's easy to make fun of this. But here's the interesting thing. Just last week, Friday, July 14th, the Hallmark Channel announced that it would be doing its first ever Christmas cruise. Uh, it's going to sail out of Miami next November, and brief stop in NASA, four-day long cruise. No, hold
1: on. You, the, we got to make sure you get the punchline. Mm-hmm. they stop in NASA, pick up your high school boyfriend who you haven't seen in 25 years, who happens to be a lumberjack, and a charming smile, and you fall in love... And you go on the cruise and live happily ever after hallmark coming this december okay continue
0: okay all right and again easy to make fun of
1: yeah very easy very easy okay <laughs> go ahead
0: they announced the the hallmark first ever christmas cruise on uh, july 14th july 16th pre-sale begins the entire cruise sells out in less than a day
1: well done
0: so, you know, I mean, it's easy to make fun of the, you know. The, no, the, you get
1: results. I got to shut up. I'll stand down. That's, that's well done. Okay. Absolutely.
0: I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens with Comic-Con, the cruise, as compared to the Hallmark cruise. Because I think the Hallmark people have their audience... Dialed a little bit better than you the, the Comic Con folks.
1: You know what'd be great is uh, you know how the the Disney Star Cruiser mm-hmm. thing is is going to be going away. Yep. Wouldn't it just be the most awesome thing in the world if they were to bring in actual actors from the Star Wars movies for the last like the last voyage? Oh. And, and imagine the publicity of all the people going, holy shit, Han Solo actually flew me in the Millennium Falcon today. Oh, my God. Here's a pic. Right? Like, they I, get to do the adventures with the stars for just, you know, one day. Oh, my goodness. That'd that be crazy. Would,
0: that would Kylo be Ren
1: great. actually is in A mode because it's
0: actually freaking Kylo Ren. There we go. <laughs> Adam Driver showing up. Yep. Speaking of this being a Marvel-based podcast, it's worth noting that... Disney Cruise Line is back to doing its Marvel Days at Sea. In fact, starting first quarter of next year, on 10 five-night cruises out of Fort Lauderdale, they will be offering this day at sea where you are up to your, to your armpits and various folks dress in Marvel outfits. So, uh, circling back to, to the, the real Comic-Con in San Diego, I thought you, of all people, would really appreciate this errand. Because remember, this is kind of the stripped-down Comic-Con. The studios, because of the writer's strike, because of the actor's strike, aren't coming out. But the comic book companies will be there with comic books. And Rob Leffield, who's one of the gentlemen who's most closely associated with Deadpool... What he's been doing since 2015, and that was that was the Comic-Con where if you went to Hall H, that was the first place on the planet you got to see the full trailer for Deadpool, the first movie. Mm-hmm. What Rob did that year is he drew four sketches of the Deadpool character, which he then hid around San Diego and then put clues out on social media. So for each day of the con, he hid a sketch somewhere where a a member of the public could find it. And he's been doing this every year since then. And this is really kind of a back to basics San Diego Comic-Con. And so... He said, I was telling the Hollywood Reporter, this is a chance to celebrate the comic book origins of, well, not just the Deadpool character, but Comic-Con itself. So he's doing it again this year, that all four days of the show. Now, mind you, Rob, because now the, the Deadpool fans not only know what Rob looks like, but they know what the members of his immediate family look like. So he's, he's recruited strangers, anonymous folks, to go in and hide these sketches and every morning, he'll just put an image of the sketch up, deliver some clues through social media, and then leave it to the fans to to chase this down. And I, I, ju- I just thought that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, maybe if uh, someone were to launch a, I don't know, a new show or something, they could use that as an idea for part of their lunch program.
0: <coughs> Go figure. Go hmm. figure. All right, moving on. Okay, anyway, um... Uh, worth noting, just to remind you folks, Comic-Con International runs at the San Diego Convention Center through Sunday, July 23rd. And while we're marking Marvel-related stuff on our calendars, we just this past week learned that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be showing up on Disney Plus on Wednesday, August 2nd. That's 90 days after it was released at theaters. Then three days after that, on August 5th, uh, that's a Saturday... The first three episodes of the Ms. Marvel limited series, those are going to air back to back on ABC. And then the very next Saturday night, August 12th, the final three episodes of season one of of Ms. Marvel will also air back to back. And supposedly this is part of Disney's efforts to prime the pump, so to speak, for the Marvels which opens in theaters November 10th of this year and in parallel to that effort Entertainment Weekly just this week published an image of Brie Larson, Tony Paris and Iman Vellani to show off the new supersuits that Ms Marvel, Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau aka Photon uh, would wear in the movie and Aaron, you also have, uh, speaking of uh, Malan Valani, you have some uh, Ms. Marvel news to share, right?
1: Yeah, and I don't know if she's going to have to be in the picket line for the actors or for the writers because uh, (laughs) she she got a new job. I don't know if you knew that there, Jim, but uh, Marvel hired her. Uh, the comic book Marvel, mind mm-hmm. you. Not the MCU people with the movies, but the actual drawing people. Mm-hmm. And she's been writing the new Miss Marvel comics, which I think is just incredibly cool. She had tweeted, I want to say it was like a week or so ago, to concerned fans mm-hmm. that they were definitely not going to be retconning uh, Kamala's inhuman origins, but they were in fact going to also make her an X-Men. Hmm. Uh, or a mutant, I should say, not necessarily an X Man, but a, a mutant, okay. and so. Uh, it, it, but it wouldn't negate her her origin of being inhuman, and so uh, that was when I first was like, "Well, why are you saying we as if you wrote it?" And then it was like, uh, right below that, "Oh yeah, she's writing the actual comic books. Good for her." And uh, I think it's really neat that that Marvel's like, "Hey, you are the character right now. What would you want to do?" If you had a chance, because if you think about how you get a role like that, I'm sure that little girl, she was already a fan, Mm -hmm. but if there was any comic that was missing from her collection, I bet you sure as anything, she got a copy to plug that hole and read every freaking story that ever had Miss Marvel in it before she got to the stage on day one.
0: To add to the story, this Entertainment Weekly piece has a wonderful little vignette where it's Brie Larson and Ms. Paris on set with with Ms. Villani. And the thing is, there's a reason that Marvel Comics brought her into right. She knows these characters and her Marvel history backwards and forwards. In fact, that was the thing of they would be on set shooting something and there would be a question about, where is this in continuity? Would my character have done this? And they they all began to eventually pivot to Amon, who would cite chapter and verse, get kind to of the effect of, no, 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 they did this in this issue, they did this in that film, and she became their Marvel Wikipedia.
1: Yeah, she was also kind of giving some grief to Kevin Feige, going, nah, the MCU isn't the 616, it's the, and then she rattled off like a seven go. digit number and was like, it's really this earth, isn't it? And Kevin's like, come on, kid, you're bothering me, geez. Give me a break.
0: Speaking of somebody needing a break or at least a moment in a well-ventilated space, Goose the Flurkin is going to be a much bigger part of the Marvels. So much so that they had two cats on the set playing this orange tabby. They had Nemo and Tango. Now, the problem is, is that Brie Larson is deathly allergic to cat dander. So they had written Goose was going to be a much bigger part in the film. and but, but the problem is that poor Brie Larson just cannot be on the set with the actual cat. So talking about raising you know the production costs of the movie, it, it meant that they had to do all of her scenes with a virtual cat, which Brie went on, went on to say, I hope that that can change until it does. A lot of the CG budget of this movie went towards me and the cat. Anyway, folks, in a moment, Aaron and I will be back, and we will talk in-depth about Episode 5 of Secret Invasion. But first, this. Before we get started uh, talking about Secret Invasion, loyal Marvel Us listener Jerry Schneiderman, I wrote in earlier this week to say, Hey guys, I just noticed that the Avengers Assembled episode for Quantum Mania has shown up on Disney Plus with completely no fanfare. They keep Jonathan Majors to an absolute minimum. I I haven't heard about it being released on Marvelous Disney, so I I thought I'd let you know just in case you haven't seen it. So thank you, Jerry, for sending along this note. We we got it this afternoon. and Aaron, you you actually sat down and watched this, right?
1: Yes. And uh, because Jerry had mentioned that they keep Jonathan Majors to a minimum, I was, you know, I honestly have a brand new stopwatch, and I was Mm -hmm. so darn tempted to use it, I just don't think it's fast enough Mm -hmm. to count the milliseconds that Jonathan Majors was in this. It was blindingly fast. I swear to to God, without exaggeration, at this Mm -hmm. point right now, it may have totaled 45 seconds of, of screen time of him in interview. There's much more of him in character of footage from the film being used of him. Mm-hmm. But usually there's dialogue being spoken over top of him speaking in that moment as they're mm-hmm. saying, Oh, and here's the costume and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, they used footage of him, But mm-hmm. when it came to an actual interview about his actual thoughts as a human, uh, 45 seconds or less. And, Compare that to freaking Modoc, mm-hmm. that guy, who fine actor, mm-hmm. but a relatively minor character, comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. uh had a good, you know, three, four minutes of chit chat time. Yeah, so that that felt really kinda harsh. Mm-hmm. And even if the guy did something wrong, he was a part of your project mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everybody got to speak their opinion. And you're just cutting someone out who hasn't had a, a trial yet, mm-hmm. out of fear of what if? I'm gonna use the the title of your animated show against you. What if mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors did something bad? Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, we don't want him to have done something bad. But God, man, you're already punishing the dude.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll move on from that. Now the rest of it, I w- okay. So here's the thing that I was surprised by. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that most of the quantum realm was going to be a digital effects artist sitting in a lab at the 11th hour with unfinished effects. Because a lot of shots in the background may have been a little blurry or out of focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought, well, maybe they just didn't have time to finish it. And they said, "Ah, just rack it out of focus and we'll call it a day. And uh, really, that wasn't the case too much because they were using the, the volume. And they had a lot of that spacey, crazy stuff already done and up there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that just made it then an artistic choice on the director's behalf. And then I have to go, well, damn, I disagree with that. I want to see all of that colorful, wonderful, poppy, kirby background or or whatever Mm -hmm. style you want to call it. But I want to see that. And how dare you put it out of focus? Well, to, to focus on the foreground characters. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, no, no. It's interesting you, you bring up disagreeing with the director because, uh, again, Hallie Outwell has been out doing publicity for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. And as part of those interviews, she was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast and was talking about working on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness And... Said when you work on, on a movie like this that has so much CG, it's it's weird. It's just the nature of the scale of a project that's this big. It's CG is going to sort everything out. So I'm in a film with John Krasinski and you know Sir Patrick Stewart. Never met them. You know I mean I got to see them at the premiere, but we did not work together. And and more to the point, the way that Captain Carter. Was taken out in this, as she puts it, you know, and then my character is immediately cut in half by a frisbee. She felt that did, really didn't serve Peggy all that well.
1: Not Peggy, but in that moment, mm-hmm. uh, storytelling wise. Mm hmm they're trying to emphasize only the fact that the Scarlet Witch is the baddest mofo in town right now in this movie and that everybody should be afraid of her because these heroes that we expect so much from were Mm -hmm. taken out practically instantly before Mm -hmm. they could even shake hands. They were, Mm -hmm. they were a pile of goo on the Mm -hmm. floor. And so, uh, and also uh, without any real repercussions, because we're in a different universe and Mm -hmm. so they're not, our versions of these characters. So it's okay to kill them unceremoniously as if they meant very little to us.
0: Okay, I I can get behind that. Though what's interesting is to bury the needle in the exact opposite direction, Ms. Atwell also talked about the end of Endgame. She was talking with the Russo brothers about the original script is Steve arrives at, at Peggy's house, he knocks at the door and she sees him and they have their reunion. And the Russos, they didn't want that. That's too obvious. It is too literal, you know. And so what they designed instead was the ending of the film that we know today. The, The long shot where we see that the door is open and the camera pushes in and they've already reunited. They're having their dance. And the thing is, we trusted the audience. The audience would fill in, all they would feel is the emotion. These two have finally reunited and they finally got their dance. They finally found each other. And she was like, I initially fought them on this idea. But when you look at it, it's far more evocative Mm -hmm. the way it is right now. And it was the right choice by the filmmakers.
1: To jump on that one point right there. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in radio, that's what yep. we call theater of the mind. You let uh, the audience do the heavy lifting. You mm-hmm. imply heavily, but you let them do the heavy lifting of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I can't remember the name of the highfalutin director, but uh, the quote was mm-hmm. that when you're making cinema, mm-hmm. you're really trying to find ways to hide the obvious from sight to kind of shoot around it, to not make it too obvious, to let the audience do some work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was kind of brilliant because uh, there's so many times in storytelling they say, uh, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Don't Mm -hmm. give me a narrator. Show me the thing. Or, you know, don't tell me about the bank robbery. Show me the bank robbery. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And so this is the exact opposite of that mentality of don't show, Mm -hmm. let them, and here's the other thing. We'll do it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the gentlemen in the audience, mm-hmm. imagine the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And for the women, mm-hmm. imagine the most attractive man you've ever seen. Spend a moment with that thought. And when you get done with it, mm-hmm. just know that every human that heard those words imagined a different face, body, and, and person altogether. No one had an identical perfect, but it made you happy. Mm-hmm so being that little bit of of let the audience do the work really really is effective because that you have your own idea of what bliss is so it's like just i'm gonna let you say bliss happened here what is that for you and that's when you fill in the gap and you go oh it was the most romantic moment ever oh it was so romantic because everybody gets to fill in
0: that gap for themselves Since we're talking about emotional components of of Endgame, I I just, (laughs) forgive me for drifting to the retail side of things, but the folks at Entertainment Earth, in honor of the 15th anniversary of the debut of the original Iron Man movie back in May of 2008, have created a prop replica of the arc reactor that... Robert Downey Jr. wore, in; in, it was part of his Iron Man suit, but they've created a version of this that has emblazoned across this this piece, which is one-for-one size of the one that was in the film, but it has the I Love You 3000 emblazoned in it. They've only made 500 of these. Given the credit scene in episode 5 of Secret Invasion, uh, I, I can't help but think that if Nick Fury had, and his minions had come across uh, Tony's arc reactor uh, there, they wouldn't have necessarily collected the arc reactor, but they, they would have swabbed it. And again, I apologize, folks. We're, we're going to get into some spoilers here. So just, you know, if you haven't seen episode five yet, you, know, you might want to jump ahead when you and I were talking about this earlier uh, today, Aaron, I mean, I, you were surprised at a, how short this episode was. What 31 minutes. Yeah, it felt
1: really, really short, and then it mm-hmm. felt a little bit more on the exposition-heavy side of things. A lot of talky-talky and, and not a lot of dewy-dewy. Mm-hmm. We're getting, you know, to the last episode now after this, but when you're in the next-to-last episode, you do mm-hmm. expect things to ratchet up, ratchet up, ratchet up, so you have this unbelievable tension, mm-hmm. and that whole last episode can be payoff. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of where they're at, but this just seemed like, uh, here, here's some words, and here's some more words, and here's a lot more words, and uh, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like anything bad happened in the show that I was like, oh, that was horrible. I mean, it mm-hmm. was all still good storytelling in line with what they've been giving us so far. Mm-hmm. It's just, I guess, my expectations, you know, very rarely ever meet whatever is put in front of me, and that's just one of my own personal faults. Not really the show's fault. That's Mm -hmm. my own. But uh, anyway, when we'll we'll cover some of the the things that happen. Uh, One thing, when you burn a corpse, Mm -hmm. I don't think you're coming back from that. There's no uh, Tahiti treatment for ashes that I'm aware of. This is true. This so uh, I guess we'll we'll pour a little on the ground and bid <laughs> a, a fond farewell to Ben Mendelsohn. There it's we go. been a pleasure having you into the Marvel Universe, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here's one that I was kind of uh, peaked by when I saw him. Nick Fury's on an airplane, and there's a guy there, and he's speaking to Nick, not like a subordinate in any mm-hmm. story. He was speaking to him as an equal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he looks really familiar. And it turns out that the character's name is Mason and that uh, he was in Black Widow. He was the guy that supplied Natasha with the helicopter in that movie. Oh. And they had a little back and forth verbal sparring hmm. where he wasn't taking no guff from her either. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know who this cat is, but apparently he's like the supplier of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or the Black Widows whenever they, they needed him in a moment. So, I don't know if Mason's going to be you know featured more, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him. He's a, a cool character. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, oh, uh, nobody packs a go bag like a Fury. <laughs> I tell you what, man, she pulls out a, a backpack, and I'm like, what, you're going to have some gorp in there? Some. Mm-hmm uh granola and raisins and oats and whatnot and peanuts is is that what oh no that's a glock oh my god that's a shotgun oh you've got bullets and everything just clips just tethered right in there you just clip clip clip, clip. oh look at you go yeah nice yeah. go bag from the yep. fury family that
0: was quite <laughs> quite the same you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, well, she opens a drawer and they do the shot where the camera's in the drawer looking up at their faces as they lean in yeah. to look at the magical contents. And there's that instant where you're like, what's in there, I wonder? And then they pull out two duffel bags and you're like, "Wait, you going to school? What's mm-hmm. with the book bags? And uh, yeah, and then all the ammo and arms come out and you're like, oh, it's a Fury go bag. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: Locked and loaded. So talk to me about. Rhodey, which, uh, by the way, interesting thing about, again, that post credit scene, you understand the significance of that. It basically proves that Rhodey was not a scroll in Endgame, uh, because if they were swabbing the battlefield, so to speak, Mm -hmm. somebody would have discovered that. So what's kind of interesting about that is the whole Kevin Feige, you know, Rhodey could have been a scroll for a number of the appearances, you know, and it's just sort of like, well, no, it looks like now the longest that Rhodey could have been a scroll was when we we had him and Sam chat in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So not quite the Machiavellian been at this for years thing going on, or at least I, I I don't know, maybe in episode six they'll find a way to walk this back much further. But how do you feel about marching into uh, episode six where things lift off?
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's like obviously they, they have to come to a head. Mm-hmm. They've got mm-hmm. to meet face to face, so to speak, with Skrulls. Mm-hmm. And then they've got to have their battle. And so it's basically how is Nick Fury, ordinary mm-hmm. older gentleman, going to take on a super Skrull? And uh, especially if he's giving them the magic juice. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, yeah, there's just a whole lot of uh, who's going to show up in the finale? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have more guests show up and help Nick out at the last minute unexpectedly? And if this is supposed to lead into the Marvels.
0: Yes. Uh, thank you. How is he getting from here to the space station? especially given the corner the character has been painted in it at
1: this point. Well, I, I know there's a one team that has a, a really bright spotlight out in a field that will help them get back <laughs> that, there. If they just do a really tight shot.
0: There but, we uh, go. There <laughs> we go. All right. Before we, we bring this week's episode to a close, we were mentioning things to add to your calendars. And I, I, what something else just came in over the transom is is and We're recording here. Uh, the Andrew Garfields, uh, The Amazing Spider Man 2 will be debuting on Disney Plus uh, early next month on Friday, August 11th. So I think at this point we have them all over there.
1: Yet? I don't know if they're gonna if any are gonna trickle out before that arrives or not.
0: Ah, okay. I mean, because they
1: only have them for a limited time, right? They're not—they're not, they're not going to be there for the rest of life and, and eternity. So there's an expiration date on that milk. I just don't know what it is. Smell it. Does it smell sour? Taste this. Does this, does this taste bad to you? Is this bad, Spider Man? Honey, we need new Spider Man. Put it on our grocery list. This one's gone bad.
0: Sorry to do that. Well, no, no, no. i always enjoyed that job. Okay. Uh, and speaking of things, I have really, really, really been enjoying. The Thirty Second Street Podcast. So, what are you going to to you know upset me with learning about now? You know what's this week? You know oh,
1: big to- pharma. Oh, big pharma. It's such oh. a pain. Such a bad thing. Here, here's a little uh, fun nugget that you'll learn from the show. Mm-hmm. It was a drug company mm-hmm. that was not using their their medication for depression. It was a sleep aid. However, within the commercial, they used uh, exact words that are usually found on a clinical form saying, Mm -hmm. if you're sleepy, if you wake up tired, if you have this, Mm -hmm. try this drug. And the thing that they were describing in those very exact clinical words that you can find on forms is for depression. But they were selling a sleep aid that was very addictive. And so, basically, what they were doing was telling you keywords to go tell your doctor so that you'll get the exact right drug. Oh. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You're diagnosing yourself all of a sudden instead of the doctor diagnosing you and asking you a series of questions. You're going in preloaded with the wrong information. So, you're welcome, America. Big Pharma. Okay. 30 well, Second like I, Street.
0: Check it all out. All right. Again, folks, you, you learn a lot on this show. On the other hand, here you learn some things. Hopefully we, we entertain and, and, and divert you with shows like uh, Disney Dish with Lentesta or Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, who, uh, by the way, day before the show debuted, was down at Comic-Con and, in fact, was in whole age. He and his co-host, Charles Hood. The two of them do the wonderful light diffuse, the, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But they were there; they emceed the panel for uh, what was it uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: uh, Mutant Mayhem. But but I have Drew under orders to take pictures from the stage of the six thousand people looking back at him. I don't think he's ever played in front of a crowd that big before. But very very cool. And, oh, by the way, Brian Gaughan, uh also down at Comic-Con this week. He's at uh, Bill He's Stouching. in Hall H watching Drew up on the panel. Probably, probably. But oh, when he gets back, he's going to share all sorts of Star Wars-related info he learned while wandering around the San Diego Comic-Con on our next episode of Looking at Lucasfilm. And... You're still on the Twitters, right?
1: Still on the Twitters. I had tacos last night. I've been on the Twitters all night.
0: Anywhere else? <laughs> no, admit- no, I, I don't.
1: I don't have time to uh, do all the things and and such. I I just gotta I gotta keep plowing this this trench of hell that we call Twitter and leave it at that. But oh, yeah. uh, if you want to find me, you can find me over at Azaprod. A z a p r o d. I just shared mm-hmm. that uh, Tony Todd. Hmm. is going to be voicing Venom in the new PlayStation Spider-Man 2 video game. Uh, Tony Todd is the actor who is the Candyman. Wow. I can't wait to hear the Candyman voice Venom.
0: That's cool. I mean, mind you, I remember Tony from his, was it next gen? Which of the Star Treks did he do? Eh, anyway. Yeah, anyway he's
1: done a lot of work he's done a whole slew of work and he's hey. been featured in in many many places i just love the candy man. so uh go. that's the one that i gravitate way. towards but anyway uh okay. yeah over on twitter and and jim hill you're also on twitter as well as elsewhere so go ahead and, and do those
0: yeah let's see i'm on twitter nancy has just launched us on threads which is tied to instagram and in all of those cases i guess it's just jim hill media and also also on facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Anyway, Aaron and I look forward to seeing you folks on the social medias. And, and then in a week's time, we'll be back with a brand new uh, Marvelous Disney. But uh, till then, thank you for listening. And we will be back soon.